Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. <coughs> Today we're going to make an attempt to finish with this second chapter. Hopefully we can get through it with the allotted time that we have. I'm looking, we're actually ahead of schedule, so we're doing pretty good. Um, also, as a, an announcement, um, after the service today, we're going to be presenting two new members to you this morning. Amen to that. God is blessing us in that way. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Romans chapter 2. And today we're going to be considering verses 17 through 29. The title that I have for you this morning is, Religious People Are Guilty Too. Religious people are guilty too. And this message is relevant for our lives today uh, for a number of reasons. It highlights the importance of avoiding religion. And secondly, it also highlights our need for an intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you know anything about religion, you know that religion actually plays a major role in society today. And the question we have to ask ourselves, is all religion sound? Is all religion sound? And if you know anything about religion, you know that that is not the case. And what does the Bible reveal about religion? <clears throat> look with me. Look with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verses 17 through 29. It says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that yourself, that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's a passage that's taken out of Ezekiel 16. Um, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Hmm. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, quite frankly, there are a lot of complicated things from this one particular passage. Father, please give me insight. 
Give me revelation, give me inspiration, that I may convey publicly what you have revealed to me in secret. Father, we thank you so much for this word. Help us to understand it. But more importantly, help us to live it out in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. The theme of this passage is the same as the title. Religious people are guilty too. Religious people are guilty too. Ultimately, in this letter, Paul was conveying the idea of salvation and that it is only possible through a personal relationship with the Lord and not through some external religious observances on our part. In the first half, how many of you were present when we shared from the first half of this particular chapter? How many of you were present last week or the week before? So, in the first half of this chapter, we learned that Paul challenged the idea of salvation by means of being good enough. And we talked about that it's not possible to be good enough. That it's not possible to earn a place in heaven one day by being good enough. That it's not possible to please God by being good enough. It's just not possible. And, in, and today, in this one particular passage, we're going to discover that it is not possible to be saved by being religious enough. There are many people in society today, one of the things that I stated moments back is that religion plays a major role in society today. In this town, in this state, in this country, all over the world, religion plays an important role. And I asked the question earlier, is all religion sound? The answer is emphatically no, in no way, shape, or form. In fact, Jesus Christ dedicated three years of ministry preaching against the essence of religion, if you will. Jesus preached truth, and that if you and I desire to know Him personally, or rather, if you and I desire to make Heaven, our home one day, we need to know Him personally. And we, we need to denounce or dismiss the elements, most elements, that is, of religion. And this is the point of this lesson today. And I thank God for the opportunity to be able to present it. I want to share at this time, I want to share just a couple verses, a couple passages with you. You can follow along or you can just listen um, as I read these passages, and this is sort of like a prelude to what we're going to be talking about. Sort of the essence, and the, these verses embody the essence of our theme here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. You might want to write that verse down. It says, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. No one can lay... Any other foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it reads, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So when we think in terms of religion, the element of religion in society today, and we think in terms of the wonderful grace that Jesus Christ has afforded us by way of His death, burial, and resurrection of the cross. This passage serves to, to highlight a distinction between the two. 
and the wonderful, wonderful benefits that we stand to receive if we yield ourselves to Jesus Christ personally and intimately. I want you to look at, well, let me give you the final verse um, in case you're writing down. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Look at verse 17 with me. We're going to read it together. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Again, the context this morning is the same as the title, that religious people are guilty too. Paul the Apostle begins this one particular passage, this one particular text, with if you call yourself a Jew... And then what he does next is that he continues to qualify Judaism, Judaism from the natural perspective until, of course, he begins um, an indictment against the Jewish people. What is a Jew? Who is a Jew? A Jew is a person who was born into the family of the Hebrew people. Here's a quote for you. It says, they are a peculiar people. Separated and distinguished from all others by their having the written law and the special presence of God among them. The fact is that it was no small thing at that time to be a Jew and to be acquainted with Judaism. Verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know what's <clears throat> happening to my voice. <clears throat> Verse 17 also <clears throat> conveys another point. It says that the Jews were actually relying on, the, of relying on the law. They were relying on the law. Now remember, we're trying to make a distinction here between Judaism or between the legal system and the wonderful benefits that we have in Christ by way of His grace through faith. And this says that they were relying on the law. How many know anything about Jewish history or um, how Jews are actually raised, the strict religion, the strict protocols, the strict precepts, the strict teaching. How many, are, ever, how many of you ever heard the word bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, things like that? It's a strict religion and it demands strict adherence to the protocols of their particular religion. And think in terms of what Paul the Apostle is actually saying here. He's saying they are relying on the law. Look at verse 18 with me. And he says, as a result of this strict, their strict religion, it says that they were making their boast in the law. Or they were making their boast in that they knew God because they were instructed from the law. Verse 18 says, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. In other words, these were people who actually took pride in their religion. It was a strict religion. And they learned, they had to learn everything that they possibly could. A lot was expected from them as a result of that. And it got to the point that with, for them personally, they were actually boasting in the law or boasting in God. Look at, look at us, consider us. We know the Lord. We have the Almighty God with us. We had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as our very own God. And if you will, they kind of boasted 
They kind of exalted themselves, especially when they, when they compared themselves with the surrounding nations, with the Gentile surrounding nations, as if they were somehow better than everybody else, which wasn't the case <clears throat> at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm wrestling here with, <clears throat> with my throat. <clears> throat> What is it somebody here called it once before? June? What is it? June bloom? June gloom, June bloom, gloom, whatever it is. I don't, I hate it. I despise it. Huh? This is, yeah, right. Tell that, tell that to my body. (coughs) So, Jewish people actually because of the strict religion, because of the strict teaching, they took pride in it. Somebody once said, I, I was reading this one particular author, one particular theologian, I forget his name at the time. And he says that, that the Jewish people knew the difference between right and wrong. The Jewish people knew the difference between the holy and the profane. And that Jewish people knew the difference between the truth and the lie. However... The reality is the only thing they actually possessed were half-truths. And I say that because you and I know in hindsight that they actually rejected their Messiah. They actually rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as such, their religion could only bring them but so far. How many, knows that if you, how many of you know that if you reject Jesus Christ today, it doesn't matter what religion you subscribe to. It's just religion, and it actually makes you a hypocrite. To know the truth, or to know the Word of God, and not to actually live it out by way of an intimate relationship or fellowship with Jesus Christ, it actually renders us hypocrites. And Paul the Apostle was actually trying to be nice to the Jewish people. He was trying to put it in a very nice way. But he really wanted them to understand that there was a vast distinction between what they were subscribing to in the form of the religion to what they actually were missing out of in Jesus Christ. And as a result, it turns out that the religion had been in vain and that at best all they had was a form of godliness. How many of you are familiar with Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 5? It says, it says exactly that. Paul the Apostle was speaking to young Timothy and turned to the community of believers at that time. He's saying, he's saying religion without Christ is just a form of godliness. But in essence, we deny the power thereof. We deny the the tangible, viable fellowship that that God is granting us in Jesus Christ. And so as a result of their rejection of Jesus, their boasting in verse 17 had in fact been removed. And Paul the Apostle was trying to explain this to them. Turn your page over, turn a page over in your Bible. Look at look at chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. He says, referring to the boasting, he says, then what becomes of our boasting? He says, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart 
from the works of the law. And yet the Bible here in this passage, verse 17, namely, tells us that they were dependent, that they were relying on the law for their everything, as if the law was capable of granting them salvation. It wasn't the case at all. <clears throat> Look at verses um, 19 and 20. It says, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge in truth. Remember last week we talked about the diatribe? How many of you remember that? It's where Paul uses a special sentence structure. And in this case, he's trying to be a little facetious, a little sarcastic. And, <clears throat> and it's almost as if he's debating an imaginary opponent. It's a play on words. He says, essentially he's saying, you're, you're, you're guiding people with your knowledge. He says, you're instructing people, verse, verse 20. Guiding people, verse 19. And in verse 20, he's saying, you're, you're essentially, you're teaching your children... Your ways, and okay, you know the old standard is what he, he's essentially saying to them. But this is not a science test or some secular thing. He's saying you're missing the entire point of the legal system. You're missing the entire point of the law. And essentially, the point is that the law could not guarantee morality. For some reason, people who subscribe to religion, like the Jewish people, who subscribe to their Judaism... People who subscribe to religion actually believe that the religion can guarantee morality. It's the essence of what they believe. But it's not true. It's totally contrary to everything that we know to be true from the perspective of the New Testament. The new covenant that was actually raised up in Christ Jesus. Therefore, it doesn't matter what systematic, what theological perspective, what standard, what rule, tradition, or religion, without a fundamental belief in Jesus Christ, it is all in vain. How important is this message for you and I today? <clears throat> it's extremely important. Because, granted, we like to say that Christianity has nothing to do with religion. And indeed, it doesn't, for the most part. At its fundamental core has everything to do with a relationship and an intimacy with our Lord and Savior. An intimacy with God. In other words, Jesus Christ, He died on the cross and He opened up an avenue by which mankind can be saved. He bridged the gap between God and mankind. So essentially, there is no religion there thus far. But it doesn't mean that there aren't any elements of religion in Christianity at all. Why is it we think we, you think we get together at 1045 every Sunday morning? It's a religious element. Why is it you think we've, we set apart Wednesday at 7 p.m. or 6.30 if you like to eat? Right, Kathy? Right, Paulie? It's an element of religion, if you will. Coming to church doesn't save us. And yet we come to church because we know God instructs us to get together as a family of believers, Right? Hebrews 10.25, and do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. And there are a number of other passages 
that actually talk about the importance of coming together. So it is important. It's viable. It's, it's authentic. It's genuine. It's organic. But still, there are some elements of religion in Christianity, none of which guarantee morality. And from the very beginning, 2,000 plus years ago, from the very beginning, the moment Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and in the book of Acts, we learn about how the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit used men to formalize what we know today as the body of Christ. From the very beginning, man has been subscribing to religion. And from one of Paul's epistles to the next, Paul challenges the essence of religion. In Galatians chapter 2, he actually takes the time to rebuke a certain individual because of his religious exercise. We're not going to get into it. And on many other occasions, Paul the Apostle was trying to stamp out this ideology of religion. Because it was conflicting with the, with the, with the gospel itself, with the message of the cross itself. And you and I... To a high degree, whether we see it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we care to acknowledge it or not, whether we are able to or not, we subscribe to many, many religious elements that we attribute to Christianity. When we come to church on Sunday morning, why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Are you coming to fulfill some, res- some requirement in your home? Or are you- because that would be religion. Or are you coming because you know this is where you ought to be? Because this is the place where we get to open the Word of God so that we can have a dialogue with one another about the things that are important from the Holy Scriptures. When we subscribe to just coming and going through the motions, we're practicing or exercising religion. And it is futile. And Paul the Apostle thus far was saying to his people that religion does not guarantee morality. And it's the reason why in so many of us, in the minds of so many of us, we wonder why we're coming week in and week out. We're applying ourselves to the activities, to the fellowships, or whatever it is, whatever else we have to offer as a church. And we wonder why we're not growing. We wonder why we're not developing. We wonder why there's no, no growth of morality in our lives. And it's because we may be failing in the most important component of Christianity. And that is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Paul the Apostle was saying all of those things. I wish I could have said it a little bit better a moment ago, but I'm going to be honest and transparent with you. I'm going to put it out there like a joke, like a little bit of humor. I have to, because I may run into a little more difficulty once I go back to my notes. And the point is that last night I was studying, or rather revisiting, the outline, my outline, and I made a mistake. I made a huge mistake. I tried to sync my outline on my tablet with my other devices, and guess what happened? Poof. Just like that. And so I sat in the office this morning trying to, Lord, I need supernatural recollection right now. Otherwise, your people are going to be mad at me. And so I put together, I pieced together whatever it is I could. And I apologize for my incoherence. And the fact that I'm struggling this morning, both with that and my voice. 
But please don't, don't allow my frailties to cause you to miss the point thus far in this passage, which is what I already stated. Paul the Apostle wanted to make a distinction between the religion that was being practiced by many and the faith that we ought to be experiencing in Christ Jesus, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Look with me to verses 21 through 23. <clears throat> it says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor hot idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. I'm going to read that last verse again. Verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. These verses are amazing. And they actually speak of the futile exercise of religion. Some of the things that I just finished discussing with you. Let me ask you this. Isn't it possible for a sincere Jew to please God in some way? Is it possible for a sincere Jew who's not practicing Christianity, Judaism, is it possible for him or her to actually please God, even if it's just a little bit? The reality is he cannot, not according to Paul. Isn't it possible? Is it possible for anyone who practices religion to please God in some way? The answer is no. Not if Jesus Christ is excluded. At least the fundamental truth about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the need to be saved by faith, and by faith alone. Because religion doesn't validate. It cannot val validate. Religion doesn't possess the capacity to validate. In the case of, the, in the case of Judaism, it, it was rooted and grounded in the legal system. And the Jewish people at that time, and still to this day, they missed the point of the law. The law was designed to expose sin within us. And secondly, it was designed to point mankind to the cross. The law actually exposed sin within me. If the law did not state, thou shalt not steal, then I'm going to freely live taking whatever doesn't belong to me. Without feeling guilty about it at the end of the day. But because the law says I cannot steal, because the law states that it's wrong to do so, my conscience flares up on me. And you know what? It doesn't even matter whether I'm familiar with the, the black and white print of the law. Most of us simply aren't acquainted with all the law. And yet, does it mean that we live life without a conscience? Or rather, does it mean that we live life without conviction? I live with conviction every single day. I'm thankful for the grace of God, right? But Paul the Apostle was trying to drive in the point. Listen, listen, you're, you're missing, you're missing the mark. You're trying to validate your life, your salvation, or any idea, the notion of salvation by keeping the law, and you've missed the point. Verse 21, it says, and we're talking about a lot of effort with regard to Judaism. They put a lot of effort in their religion, teaching others. Verse 21. Verse 21 also, it says, preaching. Verse 22, it says, the admonishment, the admonishment to avoid certain violations of the law were mentioned. Don't commit adultery. Don't do this. Don't do that. It was an admonishment. 
as if somehow at the end of the day, salvation was going to be the reward. So the the major question still remains, can the law save us? Or can our works-based religion save us? Can our works-based religion save us? And the answer is found in verse 23. Look to that verse again with me, please. It says, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. The response is twofold. Number one, they were already, they were already indicted as sinners by Paul the Apostle because they rejected Jesus Christ. And secondly, as a result, they had broken the entire law because they had re- rejected Jesus Christ. The law actually pointed to Jesus Christ. James chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Imagine that. Imagine investing everything you have over and over again, only, only to come up short every time. Imagine all the effort that religious people put into their religion. Daily. The protocols, the strict diet, the strict this. I mean, it's crazy. And yet every single day, at the end of the day, to fail. Every time. And that is what fundamentally occurs when we seek to justify ourselves through our involvement with religion. Look at verse 24. It says, For as it is written... The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles before, because of you. I'm going to read that again. For, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is a reference to an Old Testament passage in Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to read some of it to you this morning. You don't have to turn there. Listen to this. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it. By their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. That's bad. So I pulled out my wrath upon them for the blood they had in the land and for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. Imagine that. These were people who were keeping the law. They were supposed to be righteous and holy, better than. And yet the nations around them, the Gentile, the uncircumcised Gentile nations around them, were actually criticizing them because they were not being faithful to God. Because they, they missed the point of the law. The law was intended to change the heart. It was intended to change us from the inside out. It wasn't about external observances. It just wasn't about that. In fact, Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, I'm not going to get into it, but he actually paints the... Actually, it's not Paul, it's the author of the book of Hebrews. Actually says that even in the Old Testament, salvation was determined by faith and not by the legal system. 
the legal system was just merely a standard, a schoolmaster, a teacher pointing everyone to Jesus Christ and the cross. Question is, why did Paul refer to this passage? Because it speaks to the end result of anyone attempting to be justified by the law. Eventually, there would always be a violation of the law. And consequently, a blaspheming of God's name in the process. When you and I attempt to live by the elements of religion in our faith alone, when you and I make the mistake of just merely going through the motions, how many know there's always a, a community of people outside of the community of faith that's always looking within? How many know that you have eyes on you? Right? There are always people looking. Everybody has a conscience. And when we do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing, there's always somebody watching for an opportunity to glean some hope from your life regarding his or her own circumstances. How many of you have ever had somebody come up to you? Listen, I just want to, in some way, shape, or form, I just want to thank you so much for being the person that you are. In some fashion, in some way. Nobody? Nobody? I, we, I get that all the time. And I'm sure you have too. Because there are always people looking. But what happens in the minds and perhaps in the hearts of those same, same individuals if you, are not, if, if you and I are not necessarily living out the truth of the gospel? And I'm not talking about being perfect because it's not possible, right? So we're, we're not even going to go there. I'm talking about being faithful. I'm talking about being committed. I'm talking about being consecrated. We will always fail this side of heaven. No question about it. But when we put our feet forward to be as mature or as faithful with our relationship with the Lord as we possibly can, God will make a way to use us to be a blessing in the lives of the people around us. But when we fail in that regards, we're actually blaspheming the name of God. And they call themselves Christians. I'm never going to go to that church again. How many of you have heard that before? Oh, absolutely. It happens. It happens all the time. It's because of our failures. And this is what Paul the Apostle was saying <clears throat> to the Jewish people. He says, your legal, your reliance on the law is going to fail you every time, every single day. Because you're going to violate it at one point and thereby break <clears throat> the entire law. So it brings us essentially back to square one. Justification is only possible through Jesus Christ, which is the theme of the book of Romans. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, no is, no is circumcision outward and physical. <laughs> Whatever that means, right? You're like, really? What in the world is Paul the Apostle talking about here? I'm going to read it to you with a little bit of emphasis added here. It says, so, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, 
is referring to Gentiles serving God from the heart. Right? Will not his uncircumcision or his unrighteousness be regarded as circumcision or be regarded as righteousness? Then he who is physically uncircumcised, referring again to the unrighteous Gentile, but keeps the law, i.e. observing truth from the heart, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And in the end, right there, it's referring to the Jews who keep the law and who have the physical mark of a Jew. That is the physical mark of circumcision. Let's put it this way. He makes, Paul the Apostle makes a distinction between the person who is religious, like the one attempting to keep the law, from the person who hasn't been, who hasn't been given the law, like the Gentile, but who understands the need for morality from the heart. Let me give you a quote here. By a theologian by the name of Dake. D-A-K-E. He says, Paul here shows that circumcision was only profitable if the law was kept. If they broke the law, they were just as much uncircumcised as Gentiles. For this was a sign of keeping the law of Moses. If Gentiles who were, who were not circumcised in the flesh, but kept the law by nature, then in reality, they were the circumcised ones... For circumcision was a rite, R-I-T-E, representing something spiritual, the purification of the heart. The purification of the heart. And this was Paul's argument here. Can you imagine? Think for a moment. Can you imagine the condition of the church today if the issue between the law and grace were not made clear to us? I don't know about you, but I'm extremely, extremely thankful for what Jesus Christ did for me at the cross. Look at me to verse, verses 28 and 29. <clears throat> it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And I'm just simply going to read a quote to you and explain it that way. It says, a Jew, a true Jew, is not the one who is circumcised in the flesh. Neither is true circumcision in the flesh. A true Jew... Is one who has inward circumcision of the heart and in the spirit has more than an outward cutting in the flesh and a profession of truth. A true Jew is one who has recognized that the law has always been pointing to Jesus Christ and who has accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This does not mean or teach that every Christian is a Jew. But to be a true Jew, one must be of the seed of Abraham and have circumcision of the heart and be a child of the promise. How many of you here this morning are children of the promise? Amen. This, amen. I, I'm, a, I'm a child of the promise. Because of the fact that I have come to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
And because of the fact that you, if you know Jesus Christ here this morning, because of the fact that you know Jesus Christ personally and intimately, you are actually a child of the promise. And Abraham is, in fact, your ancestor. Everything about our faith points back to that, that one amazing experience that Abraham had thousands upon thousands of years ago when God confronted him and asked him to, to take a stand for truth. Abraham said, here am I. Essentially, it's what he said. Here am I, send me. I don't know where I'm going, but I believe in you. And the next chapter, I believe it is, or the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, actually says that because he chose to believe in God, because he chose to believe in the voice of God, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And that was the beginning of faith for every single one of us. But the law had to be given. Can I get the worship team to come forward? The law had to be given. Because unfortunately, mankind has always been inherently Sinful. How many know that you are inherently sinful? It doesn't mean that you are not saved today if you know Jesus. It just means that we possess a sinful nature that demands our undivided attention. And one day long ago, God chose to, that He says that one day I'm going to become flesh just like mankind. And I'm going to die on the cross for their sins. I'm going to shed my blood for their sins. So that we can be free, so that we can be free from the grip of sin and ultimately from the grip of the evil one. Religion, here's the challenge. Religion is dangerous. And we must all be careful of falling into the religious trap. Religion has to do with external observances. Do not make the mistake of thinking that you are validated in your faith by just going through the motions. Because religion doesn't guarantee morality. Jesus Christ does. If we want to go to heaven one day, we need to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we need, to, we need to strive to maintain an authentic relationship with the Lord. Because faith deals with the involvement of the inner man, not the outer man. It doesn't mean that, that faith or truth is not supposed to impact the outer man because it's supposed to, right? We're supposed to look the part. I cannot make the statement or the declaration that I'm a child of God and yet look exactly like the world in all respects, right? It just doesn't make any sense. There has to be a transformation, but if it's included on the outside only, that's religion. There's no salvation in that. Salvation exists through a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us stand. Let us worship together.
you we live to glorify your name god that's the desire of our heart and i know we mess up a lot but god we surrender our will to you we live for you today we live for you this week may you be glorified in us we give you this in your name we pray Amen. amen you may be seated for a moment So when we started the service, I mentioned that today we were going to be presenting to you two new members in our church. And at this time, I want to ask Mr. He's my mentor. (laughs) He's laughing. He don't appreciate it at all. I want to call Roy Harburg and Andrew Harburg to please come forward at this time. 
So we have a couple certificates. I gotta find a, your wife first, bro. She's first in the alphabet. She's <laughs> Andrea Halbert. And we took the liberty to. Why don't you spell the name right? That's all that matters. <laughs> so, Roy is a former pastor. He, um, he thought he was going to be retired. Some of you, perhaps most of you know him. He thought he was going to enjoy retirement. You live approximately 45 minutes from here, right? 35, 35 minutes if you, if you haul in, right? Okay. It depends on traffic. It depends on traffic. So... They're not, they don't live right around the corner, in other words. And he has chosen to become a part of this church because I have asked him to. (laughs) Because I need him, right? And he said, yes. I asked him one Sunday once, three months ago maybe, something like that. I said, I said, are you, because he was coming. He was coming. He was filling in. I said, I said, what are your plans? Are you thinking about hanging out with us? Are you thinking about staying here with us? Said, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, well, well, can you come? Can you stay? I need you. His eyes lit up. I said, I need you, Roy, because I can use somebody speaking into my life. I am in desperate need of someone speaking into my life. I, I don't appreciate your tone right about now at all. That is not necessary. How many know that this guy's an avid cyclist? He's an old man. In age alone. He rides circles around you. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh huh. I'll speak to you later, bro. So he invited me to come riding bike the other day with him. He says, we're just going to go a few miles. I'm used to going out and doing 40 miles, right? I'm used to 20 miles in each direction. It's doable for me at this point, since I'm riding often enough. But this guy rides like every day, right, Andrew? (laughs) And so he took me on a bike ride the other day. When was it, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday? It felt like every day of the week, last week. And we rode 52 miles. 39, 39 miles one way before we took a break. And it was murder. And when we got back, I had to go right to bed and I slept every day thereafter. Which is one of the reasons why I was all over the place with my notes, by the way. And it's probably one of the reasons why I poofed my notes as well. Because my legs are still in pain. But anyway, I, Roy, I appreciate you. I thank you so much for coming. I thank you so much for accepting the invitation and definitely choosing to want to be a part of this fellowship. I'm sure I'm not the only one who appreciates him. He's a seasoned Christian. He's been a believer a hundred years, I think, now. And, and uh, he, he, is a, he, he does have, you do have your doctorate, right, in theology. So he's a man of God. He has a wealth of information. And I'm looking forward to the gleaning wisdom from him, for sure. And his lovely wife, Andrea, is a blessing as well. Because she's a highly committed person. Amen. She is a person who is highly committed to prayer. Anybody committed to prayer? Andrea is extremely committed to prayer. We appreciate that. We, I think we need, we need that around here. And we need you to lead that thing too. We need you to run with it too. 
<laughs> so, church, why don't you stand with me? Why don't you um, welcome the Harburgs to our fellowship? Thank you. Amen. I'm going to close this out in prayer, but if, you, if you'd like, uh, before you walk out the doors, please come and greet them. Say hello to them, especially those of you who do not know them or who have never met them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the salvation that we enjoy today in Christ Jesus because you loved us first. Thank you so much that in spite of our frailties, our inconsistencies, our screw-ups, our fallacies, and everything else, because of, in spite of our inclination for things that do not even matter, and they should not, should not matter, should not draw our attention, in spite of all of those things, you receive us, and you have adopted us as children. In fact, your word says that you call us friends. I'm thankful, Lord God, that in spite of my mistakes, in spite of my screw-ups, you have received me and you validate me in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for these things. And I pray your blessings on us as we go. I pray your blessings on your people. I pray for safety during these next few days, especially on account of the 4th of July with the fireworks and, and in some cases people shooting in the air with their guns. I pray that you protect us and keep us safe. And that we, we pray that you may bring us back into this place next Sunday. We thank you in these things we pray. All in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ and God's people say. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.